the first time I heard the voice, the male voice that I hear, the voice said to me, there's no way you're going to do that, you stupid bitch. And I got no sleep that night. I just remember being absolutely tormented. Welcome to Are You Mental, a podcast about mental health. My name is Mick Andrews, and today we're talking all about schizophrenia. Now, the other day, I told a friend that I was about to be interviewing someone with schizophrenia, and they made a kind of dumb joke saying, which one of them are you interviewing? Haha. <laughs> and that brings up kind of one of the main misconceptions about schizophrenia, which is that it involves having a split personality. Uh, it doesn't. Um, that is, in fact, multiple personality disorder. Schizophrenia is, however, a really intense condition to have. And for that reason, this episode definitely has an intensity to it, including multiple mentions of suicidality. So if you think that's not ideal for you, then by all means skip this episode. For those of you who do press on, um, I've found this a really powerful episode to put together, and I hope you do too. It's worth mentioning that the two people I talk to about schizophrenia are just two people. There's endless different experiences of schizophrenia, some less intense and disruptive than what you're about to hear, and some even more difficult. And you'll be glad to hear we have Nettie on again to clear up some stuff about what schizophrenia is and how it works. All right, let's get on with it. When I was about 20, I started to have these really weird experiences. This is Chloe. She's 35 years old and has lived with schizophrenia for 15 years. She's been admitted to hospital over 40 times, and when she turned 30, she spent that whole year in hospital. For someone with a really full-on mental health battle, I was amazed at just how easy she was to relate to and chat with. Here she is again, talking about her first experience of schizophrenia. I would get voices, but I wasn't sure what they were at the time. Is it as if someone's in the room? Like, can you hear it, hear it? Or is it just in your head? It's in my head. I don't hear it outside of my head. Mm. Sometimes I do. But most of the time it's inside my head. Mm-hmm. But um, it's intrusive. Very, very intrusive. Mm. So this male voice was just harassing me. He was saying abusive things like, you yeah, stupid effing this, go do this, you know, you're worthless. No one cares about you, no one loves you. Just really awful, hurtful, negative things. And then I realised what was going on, and I remember it vividly. I was sitting on the couch with my dad, and I said, Dad, I hear voices. And he said, oh gosh, that's awful, I'm so sorry, Chloe. As Chloe's schizophrenia progressed, it started to include some really strong paranoia. I became very suspicious of my parents, even though I knew they loved me and wanted the best for me, but I was just wrapped up in this paranoia. I looked at bugs on the internet and recording devices to put in their bedroom so I could hear what they talked about. Wow. Yeah, that was pretty intense. Um, And then I developed hearing other people's voices in my head. Mm -hmm. So I'd start to hear my parents' voices in my head saying, that stupid little bitch, wish she would just go kill herself. If I was in hospital, I'd hear nurses and doctors' voices in my head. I'd hear people I didn't know in my head just putting me down, but they had really strong Irish accents or Australian accents. Mm. And that sounds, I I personally can't even imagine what that must be like. It sounds literally tormenting. It is. It's very much tormenting and torturing. Mm. Brings me so much anguish. I'm Christopher Grant. I grew up on a uh, First Nations reservation called Pabano in New Brunswick, Canada. 
This is Chris, and it's particularly exciting to have him on the show because he's our first guest who isn't from Aotearoa, New Zealand. In our first chat online, he instantly endeared himself to me because he was drinking coffee out of a gravy boat, which I thought was kind of gangster in a funny way. He's a really talented artist who expresses a lot of the feelings that come with schizophrenia through his drawings. He's got a big presence online and goes by the name Magical on both Instagram and TikTok. It was also a real privilege to hear about his First Nations culture and how it's influenced his journey with schizophrenia. The land that I'm on, it's known as unceded territory, so it was never completely seized by the government. And we've always had our own freedom of spiritual practice, right? And we've always had our own freedom of expressing our culture. Personally, I find it's a magical land, and it's kind of a huge contributor to why I think I was able to face this schizophrenia without, like, uh, judgment you would get somewhere that's more uh, like a city or a, a suburb or something like that. I asked Chris when he first started noticing what he came to know as schizophrenia. When I was 17 years old, my parents split up, and we really believed that would never happen. We were stuck in our own idyllic heaven almost. And when that happened, I remember the next day I went for a walk and I experienced, I think, dissociation for the first time where I wasn't really there. I was kind of like a floating entity in its own. Like I wasn't Christopher and I could feel almost like this, this split from reality because everything that's ever been told to me and ever been taught about love and trust and family was kind of shattered. And I remember I was just really confused. And then fast forward a bit to when I was going to university, I was in class and I would start hearing like a, and I was like, huh, that's strange. It was whispering on all sides of me so bad that I had to leave class often. And I went from being a person who was at every class to suddenly I was withdrawing from every class because for some reason, even though these whispers didn't have uh, a structured language, it was like an understood, like, you have to get out of here. Go, go, Mm. go. This isn't for you. Everyone here is fake. Everybody here is. It was like a, a very dark feeling. And I would get stomach aches constantly and I was confused, like, what is going on? And I just tried to say, like, it's stress, it's stress, it'll go away, everybody experiences this, I bet. Like, it's fine, it's fine. I didn't want to look into it, I was afraid. And then one night, I went home from hanging out with some friends at university and I had a pretty normal day. But when I went home, I laid down in my bed and from the vent, I could hear this voice literally saying to me, clear as day going like go to the lake go to the park lake and just go there i'm like why why do i have to go to the lake from then on i was getting instructions it was a at that time very alien abduction kind of feeling where Mm. i felt like no one else could experience what i was going through and um what ended up happening was i started to really act out it was a buildup of inner anger that I didn't deal with from, you know, my parents breaking up and other few traumas in the past that are peppered there that are pretty messed up. But I was 
no longer interested in class and I was doing art, which is my main thing. Mm. And I just didn't want to do it. I would go under the stairs at my art building and just start sobbing for like three hours straight because I'm surrounded by voices and voices. And then I started to, uh, and this probably amplified the issues. It most definitely did. I started to smoke marijuana every day to try to run away and cope. And I also started getting drunk all the time because I couldn't handle sober living. There was too many voices coming to me, telling me how I should die, kill myself. And it got so bad that I went up a a train bridge that's outside of the university campus town. And I walked right up to the top of it and I was looking over and it was about like a 300 foot drop. Mm. And I was listening to the voices and they were instructing me to jump off. And I didn't feel like sorrow in that moment. I didn't feel anger. It was like when you listen to the voices, it feels like that is exactly what is supposed to happen. Now do it. And and so what ended up happening in that exact moment, I got a message from my brother, like right up on the train bridge that was just like, hey, like, where are you? And like, I just started crying and I slowly got off the train bridge and walked home. And so I dropped out of university and I, I started to go into the woods and I would literally build these weird camp shelters and just sit there and like just take in nature. And it was like the whole forest was talking to me. I remember I was sitting in the woods and the faces started to come. They first started to come as these little tracer, like almost plasma kind of like facial structures started looking at me. And at first they were not friendly. They were really, for lack of a better word, like demonic almost. Mm. They were laughing at me and they were like telling me how I'm this and how I'm that and how I should do this and that. Like I was never a person that liked pain at all. Very sensitive child, but yet I started to cut myself, you know, from the instructions of these voices and these faces. And when you say faces, is it visual? Is it is it on a similar kind of visual level as the trees and the other things you're seeing? It's not exactly to the like 3D kind of feeling. That's why I use the word plasma because they're kind of morphing out of objects. Imagine like, you know, the phenomena of pareidolia? No. Pareidolia is when like neurotypical people can see the patterns and recognize faces in like a rock or in a you know, like oh, they're like, oh, yeah, that looks yeah, kind of yeah. like a face. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, that, yeah. but imagine it's moving and it's like grinning at you and it's actually uh, res- like okay. it's got a personality yeah. and everything in your gut is telling you this thing is looking at you and it's trying to tell you something. As you can hear, the lived experience of schizophrenia can be really traumatic and we'll hear more of Chloe and Chris's stories in a minute. But let's take a step back and explore what exactly schizophrenia is. Here's our psychologist, Nettie. Schizophrenia is a condition where people interpret reality abnormally. The hallmark features of schizophrenia are hallucinations, delusions, distorted thinking. So is it kind of losing touch with reality in some way? 
that's one way of thinking about it and I guess it, it does seem that way but when the mind goes astray in a way and the person starts to have unusual perceptions ideas or experiences which tend to be not shared and not validated or endorsed perhaps by the rest of society so there's a sense of there's a true picture and then and then there's a distortion of it where things are a bit wavy or yeah. a bit yeah and we all we all interpret what we experience we all make interpretations and there's the the sense with schizophrenia that that something goes awry in how we interpret what we're experiencing mm. and we have difficulty working out whether something's real or isn't mm. and most of us will have experiences all of us perhaps would have experiences of of disordered thinking and weird perceptions but more often than not we can go well okay that was a bit weird mm. and we can categorize it easily enough right but with schizophrenia it's like these experiences become harder to work out was that real or was that not real mm. and of course we're talking about experiences or phenomena that can be quite intense seeing things that other people aren't seeing or can't see hearing things that other people aren't hearing and like I said before we'll often have moments of kind of hearing something and going oh actually that was just that was just my own mind playing tricks mind playing briefly. tricks hi it's Mick here I hope you're enjoying are you mental as you can imagine making this podcast is a pretty time-consuming pursuit and I often get asked how people can support the podcast so what you can do is go to gofundme.com and search the words are you mental that's gofundme.com and search are you mental okay on with the episode what about for the person who's actually experiencing schizophrenia like what is the experience of it like for them of course there's really varied experiences but there's a range of difficulties with thoughts, behaviours and emotions. So there are what we call positive symptoms, which are your psychotic symptoms. So the presence of delusions, hallucinations, mm. thought disorder, disordered speech, and dis disordered or catatonic behaviour. So those are your positive symptoms, the presence of something that is unusual or mm. uncommon or abnormal. Mm. They're not positive in that. As they're, in, yay. Yeah. Them, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're very distressing and really difficult. Um, the negative symptoms are when there's an absence of something that normally would be present. Mm. So there's often an absence of normal emotional reactiveness or an absence of pleasure or joy. It's like there is a loss of connection with self and there's a flatness in the affect which is startling. So it's like looking at something that's really distressing or upsetting and not having an appropriate or what you'd think to be a natural response to that. Mm. And then with that, you've got cognitive problems like not being able to concentrate, not being motivated, not being able to organize and structure and thinking that kind of thing mm. perhaps the most visible things are those psychotic symptoms which are hallucinations and delusions hallucinations being the sensory perception of things that aren't actually there more commonly with schizophrenia we're talking about hearing things and often voices that other people don't hear 
seeing things that other people can't see. Mm. But you can also have other sensory hallucinations. Mm. People will sometimes talk about being able to smell and taste things that they've got no reason to smell or taste. And the tactile experiences, sometimes people will talk about having feeling like there are bugs crawling in their skin mm. or feeling things that aren't that aren't actually there. Mm-hmm. Then the the delusions are the beliefs that we have. Um, and delusions and hallucinations go together. Mm. So I'm hearing voices talking to me. That's the kind of that's the hallucination. The delusion is those voices are the voices of angels. Mm. Or those voices are the voices of the government trying to infiltrate my brain and make me do or think or act in a certain way. My last admission to hospital, I believe that the mental health centre had sent spies out to get me. Mm. And had they? No. (laughs) (laughs) And I believe that Ashley Bloomfield was out to get me to give me COVID and that he was sending an ampule of COVID up from Wellington and the nurses were putting it in my food. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Poor old Asha, he's doing yeah. his best. <laughs> and um, believing that the nurses were plotting against me, mm. that they just wanted me dead. Also believing the food was poison, that was something that came up this admission, so I stopped eating mm. and lost a lot of weight. It makes me really wonder, like, where do you think all that comes from? Like, where do you think the voices and the messages are actually coming from? That's a really good question. <laughs> um, from my mind, my mind being unwell. Mm. You know, the mind is an amazing organ. It has a lot of power over our lives. It controls our whole body. Yeah. And unfortunately, and this is the scary part, like that I have to come to terms with, that I can't trust my own mind. You know, that is really scary to not be able to trust what goes on up here. It just frightens me, it just scares me that my own mind could trick me the way it does, that my own mind could create voices that would torment me, destroy my soul, that could lead me to want to kill myself or even try and kill myself, to be violent. This isn't me, Mm. you know? It doesn't seem, it certainly doesn't seem like the person sitting across from me, you know? No, it's not. Here's Chris again, and we're picking up his story from when he's at university and he's hearing voices on a daily basis. How I felt at the time was I was just a crazy schizo freak. But I wasn't officially diagnosed yet, but I had that feeling like, oh no, I'm heading down the schizophrenic route. I know it. Mm-hmm. And I just remember losing friends left and right. And I, I remember uh, that just led me to be even more isolated until I got to a point where I couldn't stay in that university town anymore. And the voices told me that I had to go somewhere I've never been before. So I ended up in this community called uh, Jacket River, which is about an hour outside of Pabano. And I ended up like spending nights under the bridges there. Well, one main bridge, which I ended up calling my home because it was the only place I felt safe. I was away from society, you know. I was I was somewhere where I could be feral and I could, you know, do what I want. I could draw as much as I want and no one will call me a freak. Mm. So even though people were trying to reach out incrementally to help me in my family, I refused because I really thought like, hey, these people, 
I'm just going to hurt them all the time, mm. which is a really heartbreaking revelation to have when you're, when you know that you're slipping from a structure in a sense. What was it like on a personal level when you felt like your own mind was letting you down, was, was going to pieces? Well, if I'm going to be frank about it, I thought that I was possessed by demons and they wanted to take me to hell, honestly. And I used to be atheist. I used to be very, like, I don't believe in ghosts. That's silly. And it, it really was a shock whenever I could start to see what I think other people also perceive as ghosts and demons. And it, it's scary because it's beyond belief, even for the person experiencing it. And that's why it causes so much agony. It's because you really, it's like you go from this reality that's so structured and there's a bus and there's a cat and there's a like, mm. and then all of a sudden it's like, what is going on? There's like demons in your vision. It feels like this like weird knowledge is being like pushed into your brain. And it also feels like you're tapping into like intergalactic radio because all you hear in your head when you're walking is, and it's just like, what the hell? Like, mm. and that's how I felt. Cause I grew up very scientific. Like I loved science as a kid and I, I loved rational thought and it just, it blew all of that away. Even though it's never an easy question to answer, I asked Nettie what causes schizophrenia. We're still working on understanding what causes schizophrenia. We have theories around biology and genetics and neurochemistry and trauma experiences and how they fit and relate. But the reality is that we're trying to figure out how all these pieces fit together. I think there's something to be said for each of these approaches. I think there's something that each of these perspectives contribute to our understanding of schizophrenia. And what I find quite valuable actually is that idea that for some reason or another, somebody might have a vulnerability, whether that be a genetic vulnerability or an experiential vulnerability, but there's a vulnerability there nonetheless. And under certain circumstances, that predisposition might be stirred up mm. and what we know actually is that stress that interacts with a vulnerability can be significant in terms of shifting somebody's experience that stress can be sleep deprivation it can be substance use and it can be a combination of factors that come into a person's life that that you know push things over the edge in a way mm. I went to a weekend course that was run by what was called the Schizophrenia Fellowship at the time in Australia. Mm. But the guy who was speaking, he said that if he could control how much we slept and what we ate and in our environment for that weekend, mm. he guaranteed that every single one of us would be showing symptoms of schizophrenia by the end of the weekend. Wow that all of us are susceptible to some of these sorts of symptoms that under intense circumstances, it mm. will mess with us. But for some people, that can be enough to trigger something that sticks around, sticks around that we don't come back from. So in this instance, he was saying probably two out of that, two or three people out of that hundred may never be the same again. As he mentioned before, Chris also struggled with addiction, so I asked him how that's interacted with his schizophrenia. My addictions were strange because I was addicted to smoking weed with tobacco 
and a lot of tobacco underneath it. And I would pop it in a bong and that gives you a huge head rush. They're called Yetis where I'm from, (laughs) which is weird, but, and it makes you kind of forget anything you're sad about, but it wouldn't last. That's why I would have to go every hour and do it because I would just get anxious again and the subconscious would flood all of these problems. So, but I was more addicted to self-destruction than I was to the substance, if that makes sense. Mm. I was trying to destroy my mind because mm. I couldn't handle the carnival that was happening in my brain. There seems to be a lot of talk at the moment around drugs and mental health and whether drugs can cause something like schizophrenia. Do you think it's played a part for you at all? Yes, Definitely. But I just want to preface this by saying I don't think things cause schizophrenia per se. Weed is legalized in Canada and on the bottles for weed, it says like can cause schizophrenia. I think what it needs to say is it can unlock schizophrenia Mm. because it's not that it's causing or giving schizophrenia to you. It's that if you already have that in you, it's going to open that window, right? Mm. So there's a misconception in the language itself. And drugs have their own psychosis attached to them, you know? And so when you put drug psychosis on top of just everyday sober psychosis, Mm. like that's like a dark carnival. (laughs) Like you want to talk like a carnival, that's like you're in the seventh level of hell at that point. And for some reason, you think you like it. When people with schizophrenia hear voices, it's quite common that some of them actually instruct them to do things. The commanding voices are the worst ones because they tell me to do terrible things to my parents, to my friends, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And it's not me, you know, it's like, it's like, it's a voice, and but it makes, it, because it's in my head, it feels like it is me. And they also come with an urge that comes with it. Mm. So they'll, they'll speak to me and tell me to do it, and they'll give me an urge to do it. Mm. And I feel like sometimes they make me do things out of my control. Like they actually make me do things and they tell me that they can't make me do things. Mm. But it's so just so wrapped up in it that it feels like it. You know what I mean? Mm. It feels like they take over. Mm. And do you sometimes follow their commands? Yeah. Mm. And it's been very detrimental. Mm. Yeah. In my last hospital mission, which was just not so long ago, the voices told me to kill myself. So I tried to kill myself Mm. and I didn't succeed, obviously, but it was very scary and um, yeah, it was just awful. And another thing they got me to do while I was in hospital was um, they liked this one. They liked me to throw hot tea in my face. Oh gosh. So they go, do it, do it, do it, do it. Yeah, over over. Over and over and I'm just like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? I can't, I can't listen to this any longer. And so I go, boom, and chuck it in my face. And it's happened a number of times in hospital and I've had to put my face under the cold water. And and is it, do they shut up after you've done it? Unfortunately, no, they tell you they will. They say, you know, if you do this, we'll leave you alone. But no. They keep going. Mm. So this feels like a big part of the reason there's quite a lot of fear around schizophrenia. I think people get scared that someone with schizophrenia is going to suddenly be told by a voice to do something destructive or violent and have no control over what they're doing. This is one of the tricky things around schizophrenia is this idea that people with schizophrenia are all violent and all aggressive. And again, that's a bit of a distortion because people with schizophrenia are no more violent than anybody else. Mm. Anybody can be violent and aggressive 
if they're feeling threatened or they're feeling pushed. But more often, I think people with schizophrenia tend to be more violent to themselves than anybody else. Mm. And, you know, it breaks your heart. I had a client once who, because his voices were telling him to be violent and aggressive to other people, he felt he had no option but to direct that towards himself because he really didn't want to be violent and aggressive to other people. Mm. And the, the misconception is that people with schizophrenia are dangerous they're no more dangerous than anybody else. I was really curious to get Nettie's take on where she thinks the voices come from. There's such interesting research around this because when we look at the brains of people who are hearing voices and we look at the physiology of people when they're hearing voices, the auditory centres of the brain are lighting up so it is quite clear that it's just like I'm hearing wow. something wow. that is like like my brain would light up if I was hearing something in the room. Yeah. But also the vocal cords are also active. The vocal cords. So it suggests that, you know, we, we all have this dialogue that goes on, on, on in our head, right? We all have a kind of voice, if you like, that we know and recognize as our own voice. Mm. We're, I could say, constantly talking to ourselves. And sometimes we even speak out loud the things that we're saying to ourselves. Mm. And it might be, oh, don't forget to, yeah, that's right. You know, little things that we're kind of commenting on all day long. And when we look at what's happening for people who are hearing voices, we see the physiological response in the, the vocal cords that indicate that actually the voices are coming from ourselves. Mm. It's our own voice that has been augmented, augmented in a way. So it, it becomes less recognizable as my own voice. I experience it as something separate to myself, but it's actually something internal that's being played out. What kind of things do the voices usually say? The voices say all sorts of things and it depends on the person and it's it's so unique, it's so different from one person to the next but very often people will be distressed by the negative, damning, judgmental voices and that's when I'm working with somebody around those experiences we are looking at how to make sense of those voices and how to make sense of that's what your brain is producing, that's mm. what your mind is producing, how do we make sense of that level of negativity. The interesting thing is that sometimes people hear voices and they're not negative, mm. but those aren't the ones that present to mental health services. Yeah, you're great, you're doing really well, keep it up. Yeah, yeah. Why you would know? you Why would you go to your, your <laughs> yeah. doctor and say, I have these really encouraging yeah. voices in my head? <laughs> <laughs> um, they just keep telling me I'm doing a great job. But the interesting thing, when we talk to people about what the voices say, you know, somebody who's been brought up in a religious framework will often have voices that are somehow connected to that religious ideology. Do you mean like the voice of God or...? Yeah, there might be the voice of God or there might be the voice of angels and demons. Uh, yeah. um, I had, a, I had a client who, who watched a lot of science fiction mm. as a young person and his voices were about aliens. Mm. And you kind of go, is that a coincidence or is that something about how our minds are making use of the stories that we've been immersed in? 
So the negative voices might be understood as an expression, perhaps, of that negative self-belief. Well, that's what I was wondering, and obviously I'm the furthest from an expert here, but like I wonder whether people who experience schizophrenia have this heightened access to some deep self-talk that can then, in a really kind of rich and colourful and really present and mostly unhelpful way, get turned into an actual voice in yeah. your head, you know? Because I, I generally think I'm a pretty good guy, I'm, and I'm doing a relatively good job at most things, but actually, if I dig deep, there'll be there's parts of me that think I'm not good enough at yes. this or not enough yes. at yeah. that and yeah. and often the really freaky thing about these voices is they seem to know us so well mm. and they know where to get in they know where to target the criticisms and target the judgment it, it's like they know our deepest vulnerabilities and they manage to hit the nail on the head and you can see why people describe it as tormenting. It is tormenting. One thing that really impressed me about Chris is that he didn't resist his voices. Instead, he sat with them and got curious about what they had to teach him about himself. They started, they're going to keep going. I can try to suppress them, but that's just going to make me crazier. Pers like, I really believe that. Mm. So it, it was the moment I started listening, even to the dark stuff they were saying. But instead, I integrated that into me. I didn't try to ignore, you know, like that I do have like bad thoughts sometimes. And I think instead of feeling guilt about it, I would just sit like even if it took hours, I would sit with that feeling and try to let it play itself out. If I'm taking responsibility for all of my pain, even like hating myself for many years, because I did hate myself very deeply. Mm. Once I kind of took responsibility, I was really forced to create my own mind map to keep me here because I wanted it. It's that seed of, I really, really want to stay alive. And no matter what comes at me, I just have to face it. It might be scary. It might be painful. It might be horrible, but I have to stick it out. And that philosophy has always kept me here. Mm -hmm. It, it feels like in what you're saying, there's something for us kind of so-called normies to learn in, in the sense that your schizophrenia filtered very human feelings and dramatized them and brought them to life in a really creative, albeit very intense and, and overwhelming way. But you've kind of learnt to meet those things and sit with them and accept them and not fight them in a way that we could all learn to do. Mm hmm. Well, if we look at it as instead of voices, if we look at it as, you know, our fears, our traumas, our anxieties, it's just the stuff in the subconscious that you don't want to think about yourself. And I think that mm. if people dive into where they don't want to look within themselves, the dark parts, you'll actually come out of that no matter how painful it is. And you'll see the lesson. There's always something to learn about yourself. And you could be saving yourself or someone you love if you do that, you know? That's why it's important, you know what I mean? Mm. Mm. I'm really aware that this whole experience that you've had has caused you to live a couple of lifetimes already. It feels like you're talking like a 60-year-old man who's you know, got that I do not feel 23, I'll tell you that. 
<laughs> you don't sound 23. <laughs> as well as dealing with the distress of schizophrenia, Chloe has had to come to terms with the very real ways it's restricted her life. I have a um, really great support worker whose expertise is in hearing voices. And she was telling me that, you know, people whose voices often have high IQs mm. and are very creative and it makes it even harder, you know. And Is it because you know you have big potential? Yeah, and that you're not living up to that potential. Mm. Like I have missed out on so many things due to this illness, you know, like going right back to high school. I, I didn't go to my graduation. I didn't finish my exams. I haven't married. I don't have children. Mm. I've held down a couple of jobs, but not really for a long time. Up till this time, I've had over 40 admissions to hospital. I never choose to go to hospital. You know, I'm always sectioned under the Mental Health Act to go. Mm and they take me by a police car that was this so awful and yeah. they handcuff you and they treat you like a criminal it's just terrible and it's really hard when people look at me and they think she's so capable why isn't she doing this why isn't she doing that and little do they know what's going on underneath mm. because it is a daily battle i battle with the voices every day mm. you know my doctor says they'll probably never go away and that's a really hard reality to sit with mm. for me to know that I'm going to hear voices for the rest of my life it sucks mm. seems just insanely unfair absolutely yeah I look at my brother and my sister and how much they've achieved with their lives and I feel really down about my own because it feels like whenever I start to achieve something I end up in hospital mm. it can be really frustrating frustrating sounds like quite the understatement yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's more than frustrating, it's agonising. As I've mentioned, schizophrenia seems to have even more stigma attached to it than many other mental health struggles. I asked Nettie why she thinks this is. I think part of it is the way that schizophrenia is portrayed and seen. It's kind of your quintessential madness mm. that we see in literature and, and movies and so on. But the language that we use around psychosis, the representations that are made, sometimes only intensify that fear, that fear of what's unknown and what's hard to relate to. So most of us can have a conversation about, oh, do you know, you know what it feels like when you get to the supermarket and you realize you've left your wallet at home and you're standing at the checkout and you feel terrible. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people can relate to that and go, yeah, I can imagine what that feels like. But when we're talking about experiences that we can't relate to, mm. we tend to feel uncomfortable and mm. frightened and more likely to avoid and alienate. So what do we do about it? We have dialogues. We have these conversations. We, we throw around ideas about it. We don't shy away from the difficult conversations. And yeah. I guess we ask people, what's your experience like? Yeah. What's it like to be you? Yeah. I think a society that is more willing to get engaged with people who are struggling mm. is going to be a society that's safer and more nurturing for everyone. Mm. And if we have that conversation with someone, we may experience some discomfort. We may experience some discomfort, and that's we, tolerable. We really don't like that. We don't like that. And we say that I don't want to experience things I don't like, but, but we can. We can experience things we don't like, and we can grow from it. No one asks the question, yeah, but why that's occurring? 
you know, like, let's dive into that instead of just putting people away in institutions, because we're still human. We're still people. We still want love and we still want respect. We're just always been seen, you know, historically as just a problem. Mm. That's always the inferenced thing is like, oh, they're so schizo. And even on my TikTok, I'll start talking about what I go through personally and the traumas I had. And people are like, nah, you just got the skits, brah. That's really helpful. Yeah, exactly. It's like how, but then I think, you know, I can't get mad because they literally put all of their energy into typing that. So what is it about them that they don't like, you know, because I wouldn't do that to someone. It was really fascinating talking to Chris about his First Nations culture and how, in his tradition, hearing voices and seeing faces wasn't nearly as weird or abnormal and therefore not pathologized in the same way. I'm a Mi'kmaq person. Uh, Mi'kmaq is, uh, we're known as the keepers of the Eastern Door. Our whole vibe is to protect and to love and to interconnect. So everybody around here frequently is very in touch with the land, the water, the air, everything is personified. Like we see like rocks as conscious in a certain sense. And we see the trees as watchful ancestors. And it's very embedded in our cultural background. So it's not strange whenever I would go up to my grandfather, he used to be the chief of our reserve. He's a very respected man. His name is Gilbert Sewell. He told me that there's no one word for schizophrenia in our language. What schizophrenia means in the native context is it's a challenge of the spirits. And if you can get through that challenge, it's kind of like there's a reward Hmm. at the end of that tunnel, you know. That's such a more positive way (laughs) of looking at it than we tend to. Yeah, they don't demonize it where I'm from. It's very understood right from the beginning of, oh, I hear voices. They go, ah, yes, okay, this is what you do. Can someone with schizophrenia get over it or be free of it? Mm. So schizophrenia is considered to be a condition for which there's no cure. That rather than there being a cure, what we're hoping for is recovery. And recovery being being able to find a way of managing and living with schizophrenia that means that I can live a fulfilling satisfying life that contributes and has meaning. Hmm. Is it common to medicate schizophrenia? Yeah, medication is essentially the go-to treatment for schizophrenia. And there's some debate and discussion around that, but essentially medication is seen as a way of managing the disordered thinking, the delusions and the hallucinations, and addressing some of the disconnection. Having said that, it's a complex route and what works well for one person doesn't work well for the next person and so it can be quite a process of working out what medication or what combination of medications is going to be effective. So it can be quite complicated. Mm. Um, Medication is not the end of the story either because being able to um, engage with a psychologist or a psychotherapist or a counsellor around making sense of your experience is part of the treatment process as well. From your point of view, how would you work with schizophrenia and therapy? Mm. What I think is the most important in working with people in a therapeutic setting is 
connecting hmm. and giving a person a relationship that they can depend on and a person that they can connect with to help them make sense of what they're going through. Mm. So when I was first trained as a psychologist, I was told you can't do therapy with a person who is actively psychotic because they can't form a relationship. And I actually disagree with that. Mm. I think you can form and you must form a relationship with somebody who's experiencing psychosis. And it's that relationship that can be the anchor, that can be the tether for a person who doesn't have any other tethers, it doesn't have any other anchors in their life. Obviously therapy also involves things like developing strategies and skills for managing distress, disputing some of those thoughts and experiences that aren't helpful, for challenging some of those behaviours like withdrawal or avoidance that don't help. And just having knowledge and understanding can be a big part of recovery and learning to live with experiences that might actually be there in an ongoing and enduring way. Has counselling or therapy had a role in managing schizophrenia? Absolutely. So in the hospital setting, I used to see a psychologist there whenever I went in and she was fantastic. And she just used to talk to me about the voices and talk to me about how they weren't a part, they weren't me, they're a part of me, and they came from my own brain but they weren't me and I wasn't defined by them. That's great. And that was really revelating for me. And she, she was just great and she was always there ready to talk about anything. She would sit with me as I just cried tears after tears about having this illness. And she also talked about sticking to the plan. You know, if you make a plan for the day and you wake up and you're feeling like shit, she said, just stick to the plan, just stick to the plan, go through what you need to do it will help you stay well. Mm. What's life like when your schizophrenia is well managed? Life is good. I'm out there, I'm going out in the evenings, I'm going out with friends, I'm, sometimes I'm holding down a job, sometimes I'm studying. It's, it's colorful, it's alive, it's great, you know? I still have my moments, I still use medication at times to help me through those moments. But life is, life is pretty good, yeah. I also am currently writing a book. It's about a girl called Darcy mm. and her experiences through the mental health system and having schizophrenia and the terrible experiences she has. And, but then it also will end on a more positive note mm. that she gets back into life and has that life worth living. I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. There's always going to be challenges. I mean, life kind of has that suffering element to it that doesn't go away. Like I'll watch a TV show and I still feel like they're talking to me and I still feel like everything is talking to me and I go outside and there's still faces and there's still voices. But the interesting thing is because of all of the things that I overcame, now it's just as painful, but I can handle it, if that makes sense. Hmm. Right. So the voices are no longer instructing me like to like run in front of a bus or like do this or do that. Like now they're instructing me to they're like draw, 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 draw. Right. Like right. and that's yeah, they're basically saying like go take a shower, draw. Blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When before they were like don't shower, you don't need to. Now it's like take a shower, take a shower, take a shower. <laughs> and actually I'm I'm doing a disservice to the voices because they used to sound like ah 
now they sound like oh take a shower (laughs) like very elf like you know what i mean so i'm just like all right guys i'm gonna take it so there is a humor in it because my family doesn't dismiss it like when i'm like oh the faces are telling me i have to go get a coffee right now they're like all right see you after it's just normal life like (laughs) (laughs) they sound a bit more helpful now if anything they are and i think it's it's something that I, I feel like I'm onto something here where, you know, they are a reflection of everybody's inner psyche telling them like, you know, you should really shower, you know, like those kind of thoughts you get in your own voice. But mm. I think that with schizophrenia, it feels like there's a whole audience telling you to do things. And, you know, I think what makes them demonic versus helpful is whether or not you love yourself, honestly. Wow. I have to like wake up and like have a meeting with my voices and like almost like meditate with them and sit with them and be like, okay, what is my purpose for existence? That's how I wake up every day. Wow. Is that ever exhausting? It was at first, but I fully kind of consented to it in a spiritual way. And now it's it's the most free feeling I've ever felt in my entire life. Hmm. I feel really free. Are you in any way grateful that you've got schizophrenia? People hate when I say this, but absolutely. Huh. I'm just grateful that what I experience has given me an abundance of self-love and understanding of who I really am. What do you want? the world to know about schizophrenia that we're just like everybody else although we have some misfiring signals in our brains at times we just want to be treated like normal people we don't want to be excluded from things we don't want to be told we're terrible people we want to be accepted into society like anybody else obviously having schizophrenia has at times made life really challenging for you. Where do you find hope? I find hope in the present, honestly. I stopped worrying so much about where I'm heading and where I've been. And I know that sounds very cheesy to some people, but it's honestly in being present. Like, yes, it's good to plan for your future, but I think it's more important to plant the seeds that help your future grow instead of trying to control every aspect of where you're going because then you're just giving yourself problems, you know? Like, all I'm concerned about right now is it's just me and you talking and I'm drawing faces and I'm just happy to be alive, honestly. I'm grateful for that. If someone's listening to this now and they've only just discovered that they have schizophrenia, Mm -hmm. what would you want to say to them? Don't lose track of hope, because there is hope. And you're not just your illness, It's, it's a part of you, it's not the whole of you. And with support and help, I believe anyone with schizophrenia can live a life worth living can have the good times in the life, the hard times as well, but also the good, the good times. And to know that they're not alone, don't give up. There are people out there who understand. I would want to say that as much as 
Your experiences are frightening and distressing and as much as you're afraid that nobody can really understand what you're going through, that there is hope and to connect with a health professional or somebody that you can trust to get support because being alone with this is the hardest thing and there are effective treatments there are supports available there are interventions that can make a difference and the sooner you can get that support and help the better as much as it's painful don't panic as much as it's freaky don't panic like yes you will feel alienation that's for sure but please for the love of everything that exists ever and all the love on the earth don't be so hard on yourself because you're not the only one there are like millions of people at different parts of that process and yes it hurts that it's starting and you it's unfolding and things are falling apart but that doesn't mean that it's going to be like that forever so don't give in to the things that are trying to take you out because it's just an illusion. I think people with schizophrenia need to hear that. Don't terminate yourself. There's a reason why you're going through this. Everything is a process and we all have value to give from our experiences and connection because there were many times where I almost ended my life. But, you know, I'm so glad that I didn't because I found my way through darkness and there's always light at the end of the tunnel there's always a light at the end of all of it i'd like to say a huge thank you to chloe and chris for being so vulnerable with their stories and to netty for sharing her wisdom if this has brought anything up for you i encourage you to talk to someone you trust about it if you're in Aotearoa, New Zealand, you can call 1737 to talk to a trained counsellor. And if you're in a different country, you can go to checkpointorg.com for local helplines. As he mentioned, Chris was casually sketching faces throughout our conversation. He's generously sending me that sketch as a gift, so if you'd like to see it, you can go to areumental.com with links to some of his other work. This episode was made with funding from an anonymous foundation, as well as a couple of mates of mine who live in the old US of A. It was produced by me, with editing by Emma Jamieson and research by Karen Grogan. So this is the last episode for 2020, but I'm looking forward to covering some great topics in 2021. So we'll see you then, and until then, have a mental week. <laughs>